You're listening to a sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. We exist to see lost people saved, saved people matured, and mature people multiplied, all to the glory of God. For more information, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com. Good morning. It's uh, good to gather together, even in this unique way. Maybe some of you are... uh, joining us on your decks today uh, with this beautiful weather that we're having. But uh, uh, really thankful uh, that we have this time to stop and think about who our God is, His faithfulness, and uh, to spend some time studying His Word. Uh, if you missed the Redemption uh, Unmasked, the lobby uh, time from 9.30 to 10, it looks like it was a lot of fun again uh, today. So just encourage you guys. Um, I think they had some contests and some prizes were won. So just encourage you guys to Maybe check that out next week. Jamie's doing an awesome job with that. Well, we are continuing our study of Romans chapter 8. And um, if I was to sum up today's sermon, it would be this, suffering, then glory. This is what the Bible teaches us. And uh, as I've thought about our society, uh, particularly Canada, the place that we, uh, most of us have grown up in, I, I think about the fact that we are a risk-adverse society, right? Uh, Increasingly so. Uh, When I was growing up as a child, uh, this was the seatbelt, right? Uh, Dad putting out his hand if we got, you know, had to stop suddenly. That was the seatbelt. So so there's probably some good things that have happened as a result of uh, being worried about risk. Uh, But we, we, we think about it a lot. I mean, how many people today have security systems for their homes that never would have dreamed of having so even just 20 years ago. How many of you are eating things like kale or quinoa, right? Why? Because it's supposed to help with your health and to, to lower the risk of uh, bad things happening to your body. Uh, how about uh, things like uh, the fact that we're told that, that we need to Uh, live a certain way now because if we don't, the whole earth is going to be destroyed. There's just all kinds of messages coming our way that we need to be risk adverse, right? So do whatever you can to to not suffer. And I wonder if that has infiltrated the church. Again, I think about our own country, our own context. How many of us live our lives trying to avoid suffering? How many of us live our lives in secret when, our, when it comes to our faith. We know that if we are to be bold with our faith, if we are to share about our faith, that there will be suffering as a result of that. People will uh, be mean to us, perhaps, be hateful towards us. Maybe for some, it would cause you to lose your job. And so as a church, I wonder if we have had this mentality that we do not want to suffer, and so we kind of just keep Christ to ourselves. When we think about Jesus, when we think about the disciples, there's nothing risk adverse about their lives. <laughs> when you think about the way that they lived, they lived for the will of God no matter what the cost. Jesus, he went to Jerusalem knowing he would die there. The apostles, when threatened, they said, we have to obey God rather than man. They weren't doing it for some kind of thrill. There was nothing uh, enjoyable about the suffering in itself, but they were willing to go through suffering 
because of the glory that was to come. This was going to be a nail that we'll see over and over again as we study the text this morning. C.S. Lewis said this, If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were precisely those who thought most of the next. They were willing to go through suffering now so that they could have glory later. And as we study the text this morning, we're going to see that God calls all of us to expect suffering while also anticipating glory. So let me pray for us one more time, and then we're, we're going to study Romans chapter 8. God, we thank you for this time together this morning. God, we thank you for the reminder of your faithfulness, of your goodness. God, we can so easily get off of what is true, what is right, what is reality, if left to ourselves. And God, as I think about suffering, it seems, in my own mind anyways, Lord, that I want to do everything but suffer. And yet, God, you call us to suffer. In fact, you tell us to expect it in this world. And Lord, through that, you are changing us. You're making us more and more like Jesus. And Lord, we pray even this morning as we think about the suffering that, Lord, you would enlarge our hearts and minds in considering the glory that is to come. God, would you help us to truly understand and anticipate just how incredible the life to come will be. God, I pray that you would change us this morning. Lord, that we would think more like you and live more like you as a result of our time in your word today. God, I pray for anyone who does not know you, that if they're watching this morning, God, I would, I would pray that you would open their heart and mind to understand that they are sinners in need of a Savior, and that, God, you would grant them repentance even this morning. God, we're so thankful that you are still saving all around the world today, and you will until you return. And so, God, even today, would you show us that fruit of salvation amongst us? God, we love you. We're asking now that your spirit would lead us and guide us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, so Romans chapter 8. Uh, find a Bible at, at wherever you're at and turn there with me. Romans chapter 8. And this morning's service, I want to just encourage you, uh, find a pen, find a piece of paper, or use your phone, whatever, to write down notes. But this is one of those texts. We're only covering two verses, but we're going to be looking at a lot of Scripture. And so it's just really helpful if you write those things down and then look at them for yourself later. And really, anytime you're studying the, the Word of God expositionally, that's the best way. Pen, paper, out, ready to go. We want to know more of who God is and what He has for us. And so we're going to lean in as we study God's Word this morning. And we're going to just go back to verse 14, which we studied last week, and we'll go through to verse 18. Let me read. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him 
in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Suffering and glory for the believer are first of all inevitable in life. They are inevitable in life. Now, I just want to make sure we understand what we just read in verses 14 to 16. If you were with us last week, we were reminded that the Spirit of God produces in us a life that reflects the Father. That was verse 14. We put to death the deeds of the body. That takes us back to verse 13. Because our Father hates sin, we strive to walk in his ways. We, we put to death the deeds of the body. Verse 15 assured us that we have salvation in Christ. There is no longer any fear for those of us who are in him. We, we don't, we're not fearing condemnation anymore for all who are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation. And not only are we not condemned, but now we have this intimate relationship with the Lord that by the Spirit we cry out to him, Abba, Father. It's an incredible gift, that intimacy that we have with the Lord. And then lastly, in verse 16, we learn that the Spirit himself testifies to our spirit that we are children of God. And so with that context, he says, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. In this verse, we note glory, suffering, glory. They go hand in hand together. If you are a child of God, then you are a heir. You're an heir of God, an heir, a fellow heir of Christ. But before we go any further this morning, I want us just to stop and think about, are we all children of God? Sometimes you hear people say, and I mentioned this last week, oh, we're all children of God. Why? Because we've all been created by him. But I want to warn us, I want us to understand once again this morning that it is only those who have placed their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ who are children of God. It is only those who have repented of their sins and placed their faith in him for salvation who are the children of God. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. Nobody can cry out, Abba, Father, unless you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is fully God, fully man. Jesus Christ lived the perfect life on this earth. Jesus Christ went on a cross and while he was on the cross, he took my sin, he took your sin, he took all the sins who would place their faith in him. He placed them on Jesus. The, son, the Father placed those sins on Jesus. And then the wrath of God was poured out on him. That is how our sin problem was taken care of. That is how we might be reconciled to Christ, and, or sorry, in, to the Father, is through Christ. And so again, I ask you this morning, are you a child of God? If you are a child of God, then you've been given the Spirit of God. And if you have the Spirit of God, then you can be assured this morning that you are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. And so if you are in him today, then listen to what the Scripture has to say to you today. In Galatians 4, 4-7 says this in regards to us being heirs. When, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, 
born under the law to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Same kind of wording as last week. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. It's incredible to think about. You and I who were once slaves, slaves to sin, slaves to Satan, now we are children, children of God. We've been adopted by him, and we now have an inheritance waiting for us. We are partakers of all that God has promised for his children. This is the inevitable result for all who are children of God. He talks about our inheritance in two ways here. He talks, first of all, that our inheritance is that that we are heirs of God. What is Paul referring to when he talks about we are heirs of God? When you think about an inheritance, when you think about your inheritance in Christ, what are you looking forward to the most? Streets of gold, no more pain, no more suffering. What is it that you are looking forward to the most? I would pray that we would understand that the greatest blessing that any of us could have is not the gift, it is the giver. We are heirs of God. As you look back on the Old Testament, we see that the greatest people who, the, the, the people who were greatest blessed were those who had a close relationship with the Lord. Enoch, we are told in Genesis 5, he walked with God and then was no more. He didn't, he didn't die. He just walked with God. He had, that close, he had a close, intimate relationship with the Lord, and then he was gone. Elijah, the great prophet of God, was taken up to God in a whirlwind. Moses, he, he spent so much time in the presence of the Lord that his face shone. The Levites who had not given any land. Why? Because the Lord was their portion. Joshua 13, but the tribe of Levi, Moses gave no inheritance. The Lord God of Israel is their inheritance, just as he said to them. We, we who are the children of God, get God, is the whole point. The psalmist declared this, Psalm 73, 25 and 26, whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Jeremiah declared in Lamentations 3, 24, The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. John, in declaring things still to come, in Revelation 21, 3, says this, And I heard a loud, loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. We are heirs of God. We get to be in his presence. We get to be with him for all of eternity. That is the greatest blessing any person on this earth could ever have. And we should never take that for granted. To be absent from God is hell. But we will be with him. So not only will we have him, but it says that we are also then, secondly, fellow heirs with Christ. 
Like some of these things that are written down here, like you would not believe them unless they were in the Bible, right? If you think about who you are, who I am, and you would think like, no, that's not, that's for someone else who's much better than I am, someone else who's much more worthy than I am. And yet this is what it says. If you are a child of God today, these things are yours. You're not only an heir of God, you are a fellow heir with Christ. And Jesus indicated that we would be fellow heirs in, in one of his last prayers in John 17, 22 to 24. Again, I encourage you, write these verses down. John 17, 22 to 24. He talked about the fact that we would become heirs of him, heirs with him, sorry. The glory, verse 22, the glory that you have given me, he's talking, Jesus is talking to the Father, he's praying to the Father. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one even as we are one. The glory that had been given to Jesus, Jesus is passing it on to his followers. He says in verse 23, I in them and you in me, that they may be perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. The purpose of that glory being passed on was so that believers might be united with Christ and united with one another so that the world would see that unity that the world might see that God loves his children just as he loved his son. And then in verse 24, Jesus says, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Boaz says here, Christ offers to share his own inheritance, his glory, with those whom the Father has given to, the, to him meaning the disciples and all who would believe in him. We will be sharing in Christ's glory. What an incredible thing. Ephesians 1.3, Paul talks, talking to the, the Ephesians, he says this, we have been blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Through our union with Christ, we are partakers of the blessings that are due Christ. We're going to look more at this in a moment, but I want us to first notice that what, Paul else, what else Paul says in this verse. Not only are we to share in his glory, we are to share in his sufferings. Again, verse 17, we're heirs of God and fellows with Christ, provided what? We suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Before the glory that is to come, we are told that we will suffer. As Spurgeon put it, a person, would, a person who would have the crown must first have the cross. That's a great way of putting it. If you and I will have the crown someday, we first must have the cross. Everything in us wants us to think that we can have glory without suffering. Is that true of you? I know it's true of me. We think that somehow we can skirt around the suffering and get straight to the glory. How many times will we have to read the scriptures and read the warnings that we will have suffering in this life before we begin to understand that it is true, that it is right, that it is the way that we will have suffering in this life. It is not something strange that is happening to you. God has told you, you will suffer. We will suffer, and in our suffering, the Lord is doing something in it. And so I want us just to think about which, which our reaction should be in regards to suffering. I got four points here. I didn't pass them on to, to Dean, so you're going to have to 
listen up, okay? So four, four things that you should be doing when it comes to suffering. First, should be obvious, expect suffering, right? When, from now until I breathe my last breath, I should expect suffering. When it happens, it shouldn't be like, oh, what, where'd this come from? I should understand that it is part of what it means to be a human being. It is part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Just a few verses to remind us of this. <clears throat> John 16, 33. I've said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus assured his followers they would have tribulation in this world. 2 Timothy 3.12, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Paul, in preaching to, in Lystra in Acts 20, said through many tribulations, sorry, Acts 14, <clears throat> through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Sorry, Ben, can you just grab my water? <clears throat> I forgot to bring it up. And Alan's not here today to give it to me, so I got to find a new recruit. Thanks, man. All right, so in being co-heirs with Christ, we should expect suffering. If we're going to follow in the footsteps of Christ, we should expect suffering. We'll have suffering as a result of following Jesus. We're going to look at that in just a moment. But we'll also have suffering just as a result of living here on this earth. When you think about Jesus in the path that he took, there was a lot of suffering for him. He hungered. He thirsted. He had pain on this earth. As we're going to look at next week, this whole creation is groaning. It's been subjected to sin and death, and yet it's not always going to be this way. But between now and the time Christ returns, we are going to have all kinds of suffering. We're going to face sickness, hunger, thirst, death of loved ones, wars, famines, floods. I looked up this week, over 800 million people on this earth right now trying to figure out where they're going to get food for another day. 800 million people. 880 million people do not have access to clean drinking water on this earth. These are things that are tough for us to understand, but these are the realities of many people on this earth. When you think about the Apostle Paul and the suffering that he went through, as he gives this big list in 2 Corinthians 11, he talks about the beatings, he talks about the imprisonment, he talks about all those things as a result of him proclaiming the gospel, but listen to some of the other things that he went through. He, he, he listed shipwrecks as part of his suffering, being adrift at sea for 24 hours, in his journeys being in danger from rivers, from robbers, from the Jews, from the Gentiles. He, was danger in, he had danger in the city, in the wilderness, at sea, and in danger from people who were just, trend, just pretending to be Christians. Verse 27 of 2 Corinthians 11 picks up, in toil and hardship, and through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is a daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? 
who is made to fall and I am not indignant. In this world, as a follower of Christ, you will have suffering. When you say, I'm going to follow you and I'm going to take up my cross and follow you, Christ, it means you will have suffering. When you're dying to self and living for him, you will have suffering. So we should expect it. Secondly, we should embrace suffering. Embrace it. When trials come, not if trials come, when trials come, you should embrace the suffering that comes with it. Stop whining and complaining and squirming and asking God to help you get out of it. Instead, ask him what you should learn in it. Again, as we look at a negative example, you know, think about the Israelites in the wilderness. They've just seen God do incredible things over and over and over again, and yet they have a, fi- a few minutes of hunger and thirst and-, and heat exposure, and what? They're grumbling and complaining, and they're wishing things were different, that they were back as slaves in Egypt. How many of us can be like that? When the trials come and the tribulations come, we're like, God, just... Get me out of this. I just don't want this anymore. I don't want the suffering. I, I just wish my life was like it was before I met you. We should embrace suffering. James 1, 2 says this, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet tr- jo- trials of various kinds. Consider it all joy. Why? Because God in the trial is removing your clinging to this earth and he's refining in you who, uh, your, your, your character so that you might become more and more like Christ. Just as we looked at in Romans chapter 5, God is doing something in the suffering, in the trial, so that you would become more and more like the king. And so in the trial, instead of complaining, submit to the king and trust yourselves to him Asking that he might be brought honor and glory in the midst of your trial. In your trial, get down on your knees and cry out to him. Asking for strength and grace to carry you through the trial. Just as Jesus did in the garden as he cried out to the Father. And so embrace the trial. Don't waste it. I think about my own life and some of the different trials that we've been through and if I'm being honest, that's, that, uh, there's a lot of mornings I wake up and I, I'm like, I don't want that trial anymore. Can we just get rid of that? I don't want it anymore. Can we just move on? And yet God continues to get, convict me that I need to embrace what he's brought in my life. Because guess what? He's sovereign. He's omniscient. He's powerful. He's over everything. So what's in my life, he's allowing in my life. He's brought it in my life. So I, instead of trying to squirm out, I need to embrace what he's trying to teach me. The third thing, when we think about suffering, encourage, exhort others who are in the suffering. The worst place to be in suffering is all by yourself. God has given us the body of Christ, and so when we see our brothers and sisters in trial and tribulation, come alongside them, exhort them, encourage them. If we're left to ourselves, we can, we can get tunnel vision and we can just focus on the hurt and, and begin to doubt and our hearts can become hardened. And that's why we need our brothers and sisters to come alongside us. Hebrews 3, 12 to 14. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, 
as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. And so we come alongside, like, keep going. You can do it. Remember, God is faithful. Don't lose that perspective. He is good. Let's run together. Point them to the word. Point them to the gospel. And help carry the burden. And so when suffering comes, we expect it. We embrace it. We encourage. We exhort one another who are suffering. And then third, fourthly, endure suffering. Endure it. Suffering will be a part of our lives when? Until glory. So we must persevere. Paul in his second letter to Timothy said this, 2 Timothy 4, 5. As for you, Timothy, always be sober-minded, endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Endure it. This life is a mist. Even if your every day was, was, was under great suffering, it will pale in comparison to the glory that is coming. So expect it, embrace it, encourage and exhort your fellow brothers and sisters and endure suffering. As you get older, you realize life is really short. When you're young, you're like, okay, like 80, 90 years, that's basically eternity, right? Like that's your mindset. You think that's forever. But, you know, I'm coming up on the 5-0, and I'm like, man, like what happened to the time? Like I don't, I don't have as much time as when I started this whole, whole pathway, right? I, 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 my time is running out. My life is a mist. And so keep that perspective and continue to walk the path. Glory is coming, so endure suffering. Suffering and glory for the believer are second, inseparable in redemption. They're inseparable in redemption. As we consider the glorious gospel, we know that suffering and glory were tied together. When we doubt whether anything good can come from suffering, we only need to look to Jesus. He is the author and perfecter of our faith. He left the glories of heaven, was born in the most humble of circumstances into this earth, becoming fully man and fully God. He did not have riches on this earth, even though he created this earth. When he lived on this earth, he did not have much. He was a carpenter. And even in the last years of his life, he testified that the Son of Man had no place to lay his head. Jesus hungered in this world. He got thirsty. He wept. He experienced pain. He experienced betrayal. Isaiah, in describing Jesus, called him the suffering servant. So Jesus modeled how we are to live. Hebrews 2.10 for it was fitting that he, Christ, from whom, all, from whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Jesus, in his humanity, was made perfect through the suffering. 
And this is what the Lord desires to do in our lives. Through the suffering, he is refining us. He's making us more like him. This is how we are sanctified, is through the suffering. 1 Peter 2, 21. For to this you've been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Are we starting to see it? Like, we should expect suffering. If you're following Jesus, expect suffering. We follow in his steps. If the almighty God, perfect love, experienced suffering on this earth, why would we expect anything different for us? And so Jesus calls us to follow him. Jesus warns over and over again in the Gospels that any potential followers would have suffering. Say, hey, before you follow me, understand this. You're going to need to take up your cross daily and follow me. There's going to be a cost of following me. Are you willing to count the cost He demands our attention. He demands our worship. He demands our focus. Luke 14, 33 says this, Any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. That's some pretty sobering words. You want to follow Jesus? You want to have glory someday? Then you need to renounce all that you have to follow him. As we live our lives from the time we come to faith in Jesus to the time we shall see him, we need to lay down our rights, we need to lay down our dreams, we need to lay down our kingdoms, and we need to pursue his kingdom coming and his will being done in our lives. We need to make it our focus and desire to follow in his footsteps no matter what the cost. As the Spirit enables us, as the Spirit empowers us, so what does suffering mean? For you look like as you take up the cross daily and follow him. Have you thought about that? Jesus warns us a few things. First, if you're going to follow him, you will have people who will hate you. You will have people who will hate you. John 15, verses 18 and 19. John 15, 18, and 19. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. If you do not have people hating you, you have to, under, you have to wonder why is that? Why do I have no one hating me because I told them that they were a sinner? Uh, Why do I not have anyone hating me because I tried to tell them that if they did not repent of the sin and believe on Christ, that there would be suffering to come? Why why do I not have people who hate me? If they hated the perfect Christ, why do they not hate me? Could it be that I'm too much like the world? Secondly, we are warned that we will be persecuted. In this same section of verses, John 15, 20, 21, remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. 
That should be pretty clear, right? You and I are not greater than Jesus. So, if they persecuted Jesus, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. We should expect persecution. Again, we have to ask ourselves, what kind of gospel witness have we been if we have received no persecution? Hatred and persecution is what a perfect, all-loving God received from the world. Why would we expect anything different when proclaiming the same message of hope that Jesus proclaimed? Right? That's why they hated him. Because he was calling them to turn from their wicked ways and to live for God. And that's our calling. We're called to do the same thing. Now, your job should not be to go out from this week and to try to get people to hate you, right? By being a jerk. You try to see how many people can come into the kingdom of God. So you proclaim the good news, but you expect that there will be some who, just as they rejected Jesus, they will reject you and your message. And so live, that, live with that as a reality, but do not let that discourage you. Jesus told us these things beforehand so that we would not be discouraged when these things happen, but that we would persevere and endure and continue to proclaim the good news over and over again, knowing that as we do, people will be saved. And so expect that people will hate you. Expect that you will be persecuted. Expect also that you will have to live a sacrificial life. I've already mentioned it, but before Christ, it was all about kingdom of self. Getting what I wanted. But God, now as a result of my being in Christ, he is on the throne. And so I die to self. My desire should be for his glory and his alone in this life. I now understand for the first time as a result of him opening my eyes that everything I have is his. It's for him in his glory. And so my money, my possessions, my family, my time, my gifts, my abilities, they are his, not mine. They are his. And so daily, I should be considering how am I going to use these things for his glory? I want to encourage you for homework this week to sit as a family and think about these things. If you're a single person and you have Christian roommates, you guys sit down and you figure it out as well. But everyone should be considering these things. Here's some things that I thought about. So what would sacrificial living look like for you today? Would you gladly leave all that you have behind to go and to serve God in a foreign country? Would you be willing to do that if he called you to do that? The disciples said, Lord, we, we've left everything. We have nothing. Like, we, we've seen the picture. They had nets and they just dropped them and they left to follow him. Would you be willing to do that if God called you to do that? Or you're like, no, 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 we, no I got to have this. I have to have my comforts. I have to have my, my things but I'll try to serve you in, in whatever other way, God. I, that cost is too high. Would you be willing to go if he called you? Would you be willing to have less 
so that you could give away more. I love that illustration from Secret Church, that, that couple who are like, okay, here's our goal. We're going to give away more than we keep. We're going to give away 51% of our income for the kingdom of God because we believe that God is calling us to do that. What is God calling you to do? What is he calling you to give away for the sake of the kingdom? Would you be willing to spend less time on recreation and on vacation so that you could spend more time on seeing the kingdom come? Would you spend less time in in other things so that you could spend more time in the word and in prayer? Listen, you want revival in this country? Then get serious about prayer. It has never happened without prayer, without God's people following on on their knees and saying, God, help us. God, save us from our own wretchedness. Help me to be a witness for your namesake. We need to be on our knees praying, asking God that he would do this. And I believe the time is now. The world has been shaken. Let us get on our knees. Let us be serious about prayer. Let us gather daily for the sake of souls. What does dying to self and living for him on a daily basis look like for you practically? Are you willing to count the cost to follow him? Are you praying about it? Are you being intentional each and every day? Romans 12, 1 and 2 says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may, be, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect, what is God calling you to do as you take up your cross daily and follow him. So I'm urging you today, think what God is calling you to do. What suffering were you willing to go through for the sake of the kingdom? We want to follow the example of Christ. Father, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus lived that every day of his life. First Peter 4, 12 and 13 says this, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in as far as you share Christ's sufferings that you may be able, we also rejoice and be glad when the glory is revealed. Accept, expect the suffering, anticipate the glory. This is the pattern for the believer. When the trials come, They show us what we're putting our hope in. As you look back on the history at some of the most godly people, I've I've mentioned this before, but I I think it's important to say it again. If you look at some of the most godly people that you and I be like, we put them on a pedestal, like, man, if I could just be like that person, again and again and again, they went through great suffering. And in that suffering, God refined them and made them more like him. They grew in godliness. When the trials and tribulations come, they're they're to be used to make us more like him. But they also, when the trials come, they reveal if you're not clinging actually to him. 
I was uh, talking to some uh, pastors down in the U.S., and they're expecting, they're a little bit ahead of us on this COVID thing, but they're expecting 20% of the people who were going to church before COVID not to return. That's sad. What were they clinging to? What were their expectations of God? What, what did God fail to do for them that they're saying, you know what, I'm no longer going to follow you. I'm going to do my own thing now. You, you didn't keep up your end of the deal, so I'm going to, you know, you didn't give me the prosperity I wanted. You didn't give me the health I wanted. So I'm going to go my own way now. When the trials come, they show, are you truly a child of God? Are you clinging to him on a daily basis? Is the spirit of God with you? For true believers, we like to avoid the suffering, but the suffering strengthens our faith. It shows us that we are standing on the rock. It shows that we are not simply living for this life, but for the life to come. And the Lord is changing us. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says this, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. The Lord is changing us. This is the process of sanctification. And so we should embrace suffering before glory. We're waiting for the glory to come, which brings us to our last point. Suffering and glory for the believer are incalculable. They're incalculable in comparison. It's it's mind-blowing. If you were to really understand the difference, you cannot calculate it. It is beyond comparison. Look what he says in verse 8.18, Romans 8.18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory of That is to be revealed to us. Even this day. In 2021. As you consider this world. There is unbelievable suffering. Happening right now. Think about Israel. And what's going on there right now. The the rockets going back and forth. Innocent people being killed. Nobody would want to live there right now. India. And the death toll that's happening there. There is great pain and suffering all over this earth right now. But listen to what the scripture says. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. Our suffering will end in glory, children of God, heirs of God. Co-heirs with Christ. Your suffering will end in glory. This is the tragedy for anyone who does not know Christ. Your suffering will only graduate you into greater suffering. Unimaginable suffering for all of eternity. But for the believer, glory that is beyond comparison. What will glory look like? Do you have a proper anticipation of how incredible glory will be? Do you think about it? Do you meditate on it? Or do we have a really anemic view of what the life to come is going to look like? And so we're like, oh, 
It looks like maybe it's a slight upgrade. So I better try and get as much heaven on this earth as I can. Let's be honest. How many of us are trying to do that? Oh, you know, I got, I got to do this and I got to do that. I really want to take all of what life has to offer in this life because I don't know what the next life has, but I'm going to get as much and squeeze as much of, 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 my, of my fun and, and my enjoyment in this life as I have to, that I, can't, I have to do right now because I'm not sure about what heaven is going to actually look like. It's pathetic. And Paul is saying, keep your eyes on the cross. Keep your eyes on me and know that the glory to come is not worth, it's not worth comparing with this, with this incredible, with this momentary suffering that we're going through right now. It's not a slight upgrade. We're talking about something so glorious that the authors of the Bible have a difficult time describing it. Do you understand how glorious the life to come will be? We need to have a high view of heaven. We need to spend time thinking about it. We need to spend time anticipating heaven and what it will be like. We need to spend less time trying to avoid suffering and pursuing enjoyment now. And we need to focus on Christ as our example follow Peter and Paul. They gave up so much. Because why? Because they knew this was not their home. They knew that there was something so much greater awaiting all those who placed their faith in him. Let us stop and meditate on heaven and the glory to come. Paul says something really similar in 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 18. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 18, he says this, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As We look not at the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Sure, life can be hard, but we don't focus on that. We don't lose heart. Why? Because we're convinced that this is not it. This old body will become weaker and weaker and break down, but my soul will be renewed. Paul calls his problems light, momentary affliction. Like, maybe look at your trials and tribulations in your life and then just stack them up against Paul's. Would you be like, yeah, it looks like light momentary affliction, Paul. I mean, that's, that's, like none of us would describe that. But why is he describing it that? Why? Because light compared to the weight of glory coming. Momentary compared to eternity. All of our pains will soon be a distant memory as we enjoy the glories that will be ours as heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Let that sink in. Whatever you are facing today, COVID-19 will soon be a distant memory. Your aches and pains will soon be a distant memory. Your, the hatred spewed against you 
will soon be a distant memory. The persecution you face will soon be a distant memory. The loss you experience will soon be a distant memory. When you consider all that Jesus and the apostles went through, I always ask myself, how is it that they got through that? How is it that they would get up every morning renewed with the focus? We want to see lost people saved. We want to see saved people matured. We want to see that multiplied over and over again. Why? For the glory of God. We want to see all nations saved. And they get up and they go hard at the work again, no matter what had happened the day before. How did they do that? Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to what? To Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus while suffering, had his eyes set on the joy that was to be his. And so too should you and I. Suffering, then glory. And oh, that glory. Revelation 7, 16 and 17. Listen to what will be ours. Revelation 7, 16 and 17. They shall hunger no more. This is true of the saints. Neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. We have the provision and protection of the Lord for the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd and he will guide them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. The tears that had come through the suffering will one day be wiped away for all who are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. All pain and suffering will be removed forever and ever. No more trials, no more tribulations, no more aches and pains, no more hatred, only love. Not only that, we are told that we will reign with Christ. 2 Timothy 2.12, if, if we endure, we also will reign with him. Jesus, in speaking about the great city that is to come, Revelation 22 Three to five. No longer there will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship with him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light or lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light. And listen, and they will reign forever and ever. As you're going, through your suffering, remember, great feasts await. Remember that beauty beyond our imagination is coming. Streets of gold, gates of pearls, radiance like a rare jewel. Remember that there is a tree that, we will, be, that will bear fruit every month of the year. A different fruit that will be ours. There will be a place of unreserved worship. There will be a place where there will be no need for a sun or a moon because the glory of God will give its light. A place of peace and unity. A place of great love. A place where we will finally be home. Just as sure as your suffering, so it will be your glory. Suffering, then glory. It's inevitable in life. 
It's inseparable in redemption, and it's incalculable in comparison. As I thought about Paul and all the hardships he had in his life, in his statement that it was all light, momentary affliction, I believe in 2021, he would not think of changing one word of what he wrote. As Paul is closing in in, on 2,000 years of glory since he's left this earth, he truly understands now in whole new ways that the glory that was to be revealed was nothing compared to the present suffering. We cannot avoid suffering in this life, but nor should we try to. In fact, Boyce says this, the Christian who needs to worry about suffering is not the one who is suffering, particularly if it is for the sake of Christ. The person who should worry is the one who is not suffering, since suffering is a proof of our sonship, a means for the spread of the gospel and the path to glory. Persevere, brothers and sisters. Just as certain as your suffering is your suffering, so is the glory to come. Keep your eyes on the author and perfecter of our faith. Praise God. We are almost home. Let's pray. Lord God, we are so thankful for your word. Thank you, Lord, for the reminder that for the follower of Christ, suffering is inevitable. Lord, in a way that only you can do it, Lord, you use suffering, Lord, to change us, to make us more like you. You help us to not cling to the things of this earth, but to cling to you. Lord, we understand through the trials and the tribulations that there is nothing on this earth compared to you. Lord, we cannot wait for the day when we will be in your presence. What a glorious, awesome day that will be. Lord, help us to keep that day in mind as we go through the suffering in this earth. Lord, it truly is. In comparison, it is light and it's momentary. Eternity awaits. Glory awaits for those of us who are your children. Lord, because we are heirs, co-heirs with Christ. Lord, thank you for this awesome word of encouragement today. Lord, spur us on. Help us to be faithful to see all that you want in our lives. God, we, we don't want to live our lives for ourselves. Lord, we want to live them fully for you. So God, would you lead us by your spirit, Lord, that we might walk in your ways. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your faithfulness. It's your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. For more information about our church, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com.